The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. All right. So there was an experiment involving five gorillas who lived in a large cage. There was a ladder in the center of the cage, and every day a fresh bunch of bananas were placed high up on top of the ladder. As soon as one gorilla would attempt to get the bananas, the scientist would spray all the gorillas with cold water. This process was repeated when any gorilla tried to get to the bananas. Eventually, the gorillas stopped trying. Some time passed, and the gorillas were still leaving the bananas alone. So the scientists removed the cold water from the experiment and replaced one of the gorillas with a new one. As soon as the new gorilla saw the bananas, guess what? It went for him. All the other gorillas did what? They attacked him. They said, we don't want to get sprayed with cold water, even though there had been no cold water sprayed for quite some time. The scientist slowly started replacing gorillas in the cage. And every new gorilla would try to go for the bananas, but would get attacked, so they'd stop. After time, none of the gorillas in the cage were the original gorillas, but they would still not go for the bananas, even though they had no idea why they shouldn't. When you hear the word change, what emotions and our feelings come to mind? Do you feel excited? What new things will you experience? Or do you feel anxiety about the unknown? Do you feel intrigued and you want to know more? Or do you get defensive and quietly or vocally ask why? What's wrong with the way it is? Are you excited to get involved and be a part of what is to come, or do you sit back and wait to be convinced because this could be a lot of work? You know, there really is no wonder we might have negative thoughts or feelings when we encounter change. After all, it hits us from the day we're born, from the comfort of the the womb to this cold, loud, outside world. And then years go by, we get comfortable with, who we are, getting used to our identity, and all of a sudden we get slammed into this unruly awkwardness of adolescence. Then once we finally get that figured out, we have to suddenly decide, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And not only do we have to decide that, but we have to very patiently and politely listen to parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and a host of other well-meaning people tell us what we should do and what is best and for goodness sake just don't be a failure man there's no wonder kids move to Tofino work on a food truck and surf right you know then if we're lucky we get married and there's no change there you know suddenly you know, and I, was, I was reading this, so it's, this isn't uh, my original thought, but it was hilarious because it's so true in my life. 
And Mel, don't worry, I won't make you look too bad. You know, but from the age of 16, we get our license and we, we were able to go out and successfully navigate our way around a parking lot to find a good parking spot. But surprisingly, as soon as we get married, we no longer have that ability. Some, certs, you know, suddenly, someone needs to tell us where the best place to park is. You know, that, that hairstyle that you thought was cool, that enabled you to get that date with that special someone, suddenly it's not cool anymore. And yes, that outfit that didn't make you fat, One day you wake up and you realize that hairstyle, you don't have to worry, it out, worry about it anymore because it's hard to style bald. You can no longer threaten your children with physical discipline because you know you won't last 30 seconds. You go from a full house to almost an empty house. And me personally, I'm firmly looking forward to this change. I think it will be glorious, but we'll wait and see. I could keep going, but I think you get my point. We encounter a lot of change in our lives, and maybe in some way, shape, or form, it has jaded us so that when we hear that word, our palms start sweating, we twitch involuntarily, and we just want to crawl into that cozy onesie with a bucket of ice cream and a comforting Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Maybe that's just me. But as followers of Jesus Christ, change should not give us anxiety, put us on the defensive, or cause us to withdraw and wait and see how epic of a fail it will become. After all, Jesus was the change agent. We should look at the examples that are shown us in Scripture and take our lead from men like Abraham or women like Mary or disciples like James, John, Peter, and Andrew. All of these people encountered significant change in their lives. My hope is that I can show you the one thing or two that they all had in common that enabled them to deal with, accept, and work through the changes that they encountered. Let's look at Abraham. If you have your Bibles, Genesis, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's really easy. It's the first chapter. First book, sorry. The story of Abram actually starts in Genesis 11, right near the end, but we're going to look at Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. So the Lord's, Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God promised to bless Abram, but with one condition. Abram had to do what God asked him to do. This meant change. And we're not talking about changing the carpet on the floor of the church tent. We are seeing that God wants Abram to move. And no small move at that. From the land of Ur to Canaan. You say, Ur to Canaan. Well, I look at the colorful map in the back of my Bible, and it doesn't look that far. As the crow flies, it's roughly 700 kilometers. 
But do you really want to haul your house, your livestock, and your people? And we'll stop there for a second. The Bible says Abram had people. I'm not an expert, and my short attempt at figuring out what that meant, I came up with nothing. But I'm thinking it was a few, because Abram was described as a pretty wealthy guy. So 700 kilometers, you take all of your stuff, and you go straight across the desert. Probably not a good idea, especially if you want to leave and arrive with the same number of cows and people. So he went around. He followed the rivers. This distance, roughly 1,300 kilometers, walking, change, you think? I'm not going to go into all of Abram's story, but if you don't know it well, you should read it. It's pretty exciting. There's famine. There's Abram pretending his wife was his sister. There's war. There's crazy family dynamics. There's rescues. There's amazing covenants with God. Well, okay, some of them were amazing and some were painful. But there's a name change. There's burning sulfur from heaven. Abraham pretending his wife was his sister. Apparently it wasn't enough when he was Abram. And finally a son. Then a commandment to sacrifice his only son. Relief from that commandment. The death of his wife, Sarah, remarriage, six more sons. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 25, verse 8, then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. Does anyone know how long it was between God first asking Abraham to change and Abraham dying? Any guesses? Anybody know? 100 years. So God asked Abram to change when he was 75. He died when he was 175. I'm pausing for effect. Did Abraham see this great nation that God promised? No. Would you say that Abraham received blessings from God for following where God led and changing what God asked him to? Definitely. So what did Abraham have that enabled him to continue to obey God through challenging changes? I say it's trust and faith. Let's look at Mary. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, 
since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. So Mary was betrothed to be, betrothed to be married to Joseph. She was not yet married to Joseph. So the proclamation from the angel Gabriel would have been incredibly confusing. I'm a virgin. I'm not married. I found that there were many interpretations of what type of social struggle Mary may have or may not have encountered by showing pregnancy before she was actually married. Regardless, this would have created some potentially awkward or uncomfortable situations for Mary and Joseph, as well as Mary's father and mother. As I said, Mary is betrothed to be be married to Joseph. I would imagine that as a young woman, having seen weddings in her community in the past, she had an idea of what the process would look like. She may have been excited about the preparations of the wedding day and the celebration. But now an angel shows up and changes all of that. Over my lifetime... I've been left with the impression that this conversation took roughly 30 seconds or as long as it takes to read verses 28 to 38. I wonder how long it really took. Why would the angel have to support his statement by talking about Elizabeth? Am I the only one that thinks that Mary maybe needed a little bit of convincing that this was going to happen? Because I know what my wife would say if this happened to her, just knowing her for as long as I have, she would have probably said, are you crazy? Who are you really? Did Joseph's brothers send you? This is just too much. In any case, at the end of the conversation, Mary has the strength and courage to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary said these words without knowing all of the details that this massive change would have upon her life. The angel Gabriel did not leave behind a book entitled Raising the Messiah, the Son of God, yet she willingly said, I will embrace this and I will see it through. So what did Mary have that enabled her to obey and accept what God asked her to do? I believe it was trust and faith. The disciples I mentioned a few disciples earlier, James, John, Peter, and Andrew. Can someone tell me what these four gentlemen did before they ran into Jesus? Fishermen. You were quiet, but I heard you. Now, I actually do know a little bit about fishing. And fishing is something that involves tried and true systems and processes. You don't just walk up to a fisherman and tell them to change how they do stuff. Their livelihood is built off of experience in what to do and what not to do to be successful. If there was ever a profession that could warrant the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, it's fishing. But let's read Matthew 4, 18 to 22.
As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, Jesus was no stranger to these four men. They had heard him preaching in the area previously. They knew what kind of man he was, and they were willing to drop respected professions and businesses on a moment's notice to follow Jesus. These disciples didn't follow Jesus on Sundays or in the evenings during the week so that they could keep their day jobs. They accepted the call from Jesus, and they changed everything. What did they have that enabled them to do this? I believe it was trust and faith. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are required to change. Turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll give you time because I think if you've got your Bible, it's important for you to read this with me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'd like to focus on one word from these verses, renewing. Language arts experts, what is it called when you add ing to the end of a verb? You're most, you're, you sound like me in high school. Duh. It's just like a bunch of wide eyes. It's called a present participle. This means a continuous form of the verb. So this means that renewing of your mind is a continuous process or continuous change. It's not one and done. As followers of Christ, we must choose to change from our sinful desire to please ourselves to loving God and loving others before ourselves. For me, this is an hourly or minute-by-minute decision depending if I'm driving on Deerfoot. If a relationship with Jesus Christ requires us to change personally on a daily basis, what does that mean for us corporately as his church? Does it exclude us from adapting, innovating, changing? I think not. The story at the beginning told of gorillas who didn't do something And they had no understanding as to why they shouldn't do it. Only that it was not to be done. What sorts of things or rituals do we do because that's how we've always done it? 
What sorts of things do we not do because we've never done it that way? So then maybe you're asking yourselves, why is Darren talking about change? What's going to happen? What is he setting us up for? Truthfully, change has been something that's been on my mind for a very long time. Change in how we operate as a council or leadership group. Change in the number of pastors we have on staff. How are we changing as a body of believers to reflect the changing community in which we worship? These are things I've been praying about, that we've been praying about as a council. I firmly believe that God is directing us toward change. The question that resounds in my head for me and for us is, will we be like Abraham and obey once we are directed, even if it scares us? Will we be like Mary and say, we are your servants, Lord, even when it doesn't seem to make sense and we don't have all the answers? Will we be like the disciples and go and do and not make excuses why we shouldn't? Will we trust and have faith? Let's pray. Lord, quite simply, I just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and showed us how to live. And I thank you that for us, it is written in Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to prepare my heart, that you would continue to prepare the hearts of our council, and that you would continue to prepare the hearts of our congregation for what you would have us to do to bring your word to this community where we are here in Renfrew. Lord, I thank you for this time and for being with us. And I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.